Today I want to focus on something which is absolutely essential for your Christian faith. This is essential. Everything in this world focuses against you to keep you from living by faith. The world wants to keep you living by sight. And faith, living by faith in a faithless world is paramount for you to crossing the finish line strongly. So today I want to look at what that looks like to live by faith in a faithless world. And I want to pick it up from Luke chapter 18. Actually, if you go back and read, always remember when you're reading the scriptures, always read around the scriptures. Today I'm giving you getting the summary of what I've studied during the week. But I'd highly encourage you to read around this, this first verse in Luke 18 because the context... You should always know the context. It is the second coming of Christ when he comes back again. So this is the context, right? And he picks it up. Luke 18, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, open them up now. And he says this. Jesus asks. He's asking the question. This is Jesus asking the question. Here it is. When I, the Son of Man, return, what are they that's going to be? Holy smokes, my whiskers are even standing on now, even though I had a shave this morning. I can feel them going up. Because when that happens, it's going to be like no other. This is the end. When I, the Son of Man, return, here's a question. How many will I find on earth who have what? Faith. How many? Will you be counted as one? How many? Count. How many? Will you be there? Will you have endured to the end? Will you have lived by faith in a faithless world? Now, why is it important to live by faith? Well, the Bible tells us three things, firstly, about the importance of living by faith. Three things, why it's important. Number one, I've got to tell you this. The Bible says over and over, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, God is looking for people, a faithful people. God is looking for faithful people, people who are full of faith. And God is actively looking. He says, actively, literally, actively looking for faithful people that he can bless. Here is a verse. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord search backward and forward, back and forth across the whole earth. What are they doing? What are God's eyes, as it were, they're looking for? Looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards him so that he can show his great power in helping them. God is looking for faithful people that he can use to show his power and use for his kingdom. And by the way, the Bible says without faith, without it, it is, now this is a very important word, impossible to please God. Abraham believed God, he had faith in God, and he took a big step out of a very comfortable business lifestyle, and he said, God said, go, and he said, I'm going, which way? He didn't stop and even ask, he still had faith, and the Bible says because he believed him, it was credited to him as righteousness. So firstly, God is looking for faithful people across the earth of the face of the globe right now. Many of those are in places like Syria. 
who in spite of great persecution, not because they didn't feel well or they were too busy, held on to their faith in Christ. Many unto death. We need to reset what faithful means. Number two, the Bible also notes that faithful people are hard to find. They're hard to find. They're not ten a penny. Remember, broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Faithful people are actually quite rare, friends. People who trust God with all of their hearts, not just add God to their package. Well, I've got my career, and I've got my family, and I've got my vacation, and I've got my investment portfolio. Oh, I'm missing something. I need to add God to that. He's not an add-on. He's the cornerstone. All the other stuff you can and will lose. I guarantee it. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 verse 6, everyone talks about how faithful they are. Excuse me, he is. But it is difficult to find somebody who really is faithful. Really is faithful. See, we we are really good as Christians as talking the talk. But let's just forget the talk for a minute. Just forget the whole lot and look behind us. How are our behaviors? Are they any different from the world? Are we a different people? Are we a set-apart people? See, rather than actively pursuing the life and the mission that God has called us to, rather than actively pursuing God's purposes for our lives, and even on a very practical scale, here's a really practical way we can do that. Invest time, parents, in your kids' training. Nobody owns that responsibility more than you. Grandparents, take that incredibly. Listen, you can have all, I, I can have all this other stuff, but if my kids are not moving, now I know, I have four kids. If my kids aren't at least moving towards that direction and I've got a conversation going on with all of them, which is dragging them this way, all of us do, it's a waste of time. That's serious. That's how one of the things that you and I need to take very seriously. When your kids are wandering off the path, challenge them. Don't give in to this politically correct generation. That's, oh, well, that's just your opinion. And be bullied by that. Another practical way you can live out the the evidence of this is how we handle our finances. No apology for that. Jesus said that. He said, you can say all what you want, but words are just words. What are you doing? Are you helping anybody else? Jesus talks about that. Not after I've paid my 14 mortgages. Are you enjoying time with him? That's what the Sabbath's for. See, many folks talk the talk, but don't really trust God. When it comes to it, they trust their credit card or their job, or their friends. They're trusting everything else. We just sung the sweetest frame. I will not trust. That means, that's old English language. It means everybody else is fickle, but God is faithful. That's what it means. See, Psalm 53 verse 2 says this. God looks down from heaven at the children of man to see if a single one is wise. 
What that means is wise means chooses God. Previous verses talk about it's a fool that says there is no God. That's again the context of this. But having proven, but all have proven faithless. Having been corrupted, and not one of them always does what is right. So the second thing is faithful people are hard to find. The third, the Bible says, is faithfulness is a key to victory and to blessing. It's a key to blessing in your life, just by being a faithful man and a faithful woman. John 1 1 John 4, verse 5 says this, Every child of God, this is encouraging, can defeat the world. Every child of God. Remember though, defeat. What's the analogy going on here? The analogy is there's a battle going on. You defeat the enemy. And there is a constant battle for your soul. Every child of God, praise God, can defeat the world. And it is our faith that gives us this victory. It is our faith. It is indispensable. So this is how you can win the battle against the world that is so permeated with false and anti-Christian teaching. Now notice the next part of the verse. No one, on the other hand can defeat the world without having faith in Jesus, the Son of God. No one can do that without faith. That's why it's important. So that's how you're going to overcome the world. Not by your intelligence. Nothing wrong with intelligence. But ultimately the battle is not in flesh and blood. Not with your money, not even with your creativity you're going to win that battle. But it's your faith in Jesus Christ that's going to give you the courage and the tenacity to be faithful in the faithless world, to go against the flow. Doing the will of God in a culture that is bent on doing its own thing. It's your faith in Jesus Christ that will help you overcome that despair. I'm pointing you today, friends and family, to Jesus, to overcome that disappointment. To overcome that just depression. It is him and him alone that will give you that victory. Now the Bible encourages that. Every child of God can defeat the world. It's our faith that gives us a victory. And Proverbs 28.20, a faithful man, the Bible says, a faithful woman will be richly blessed. So as your pastor, I pray for you that God will strengthen your faithfulness to him. And God's mission in this world. Because nothing else will matter. But in order to do that, to have God's blessing, you're going to have to learn how God is now going to test and grow your faith. And your faithfulness. So today, I'm going to spend the bulk of the message on six ways that God will grow your faithfulness so that he can bless you. Number one, the Bible tells us that God uses the little things. The little things to test my integrity. You may want to write that down. The little things. We think it's the big things. Oh man, when I'm in charge of this and when I've done that, then God's going to test my integrity. Actually, faithful people live out their integrity in the small, 
unseen and unnoticed things that nobody else sees. That's when your integrity and my integrity are tested. That's the real me. And by the way, faithfulness requires integrity. The Bible says here, very clearly on this matter, in Luke 16 verse 10, whoever, whoever, which one of you, whoever of you is faithful in small, small matters, will be faithful in large ones. But whoever is dishonest in small matters will be dishonest in larger ones. Now, from time to time, I hear things in the realm of business and politics. Let me just choose those two realms. And the sentiment is something like this. Some scandal happens, whatever it may be. But there's a certain little phrase I notice reoccurring, which is an outright lie. And it goes like this. Well, it doesn't really matter what I do in my private life. It has nothing to do with me as a leader or a boss. Have you ever heard that? Boy. Friends, it has everything to do with you. It is you, unless you're schizophrenic. It is you. Notice, in the next verse, Jesus says this in 16.12. And if you have not been faithful with that which belongs to someone else, who will um, trust you, who will give you what belongs to you? And again, if you go back and read the context, what is drilling down here, Jesus is saying, if one is faithful in his use of the money that God has allowed you to manage, then you can be trusted with far greater things, the true riches. Read the context. Now he concludes his teaching declaring this though. One who is unfaithful with another man's wealth has no right to claim that he's a good steward. That's clearly what he says. Now the subtle truth hidden in there is that all material things belong to God. We are just merely caretakers of the resources and the time that God has given us for a very limited period of time and then you release a lot your stewardship is over now the context of this next verse in the first chronicles is David is declaring before the people this truth and it's up on the screen I didn't put it in your notes because it's, it's a couple of verses it says both riches and honor so power and prestige and possessions come from you you rule over all, the Bible says. And in your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Now, here's the last part. David says, but who am I? King David, who am I? And what are my people? That we should be able to thus to, um, to offer willingly. For all things come from you. And of your own, we've given you back, is what he's saying. Now the second way God grows our faithfulness is God uses my talents to test my unselfishness. Let me say that again. 
God uses my talents to test my unselfishness. See, you have to decide in this life who or what you are going to live for. That choice is yours. Joshua said, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Declared intention. Question. I just feel impressed again to ask you this very penetrating question. What is your ambition for Jesus Christ and his kingdom? What is yours? What is your ambition? You have ambitions for your careers. You have ambitions for your children. What is your ambition for God? You all ought to have one. Because you are representatives of his kingdom. Do not, what I'm saying is, let the world suck the living daylights out of you and leave you with no time, effort, resource, energy, or desire for the things of the kingdom. There's a parallel about that where it talks about the cares of this world choking out your life. You remember the parable. God's faithful people, listen carefully, do not live for themselves. They do not. They realize that the talents that God has graciously given, just like David said, are not just for their own benefit. They need to be. God gave them for you, yes, but they are not just for your own benefit. But they're here. God gave you them to make this world a better place. He gave you that ability, that brain. And God's faithful people realize that their talents are a trust and a test, and I will say it again, a temporary assignment. You only have a limited time to deploy. All of us have either a choice to live for ourselves or something far greater, which is the kingdom of God. And Jesus, let me be real clear in case somehow we've missed this. Jesus expects his followers to live for his kingdom. Seek third, the kingdom of God. I want to remind you this morning, friends, from dear Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't let it, some of you today think, ooh, it slipped. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you but the Holy Spirit. And he'll want you to move up the priority scale and put God in number one. God shaped you to serve him with your talents. And there's only one way they know of to serve God. And there's often to serve other people. When you serve others, you're serving God. First Peter 4 says this, each of you, here it is on the screen, on your outline, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to make a ton of money. Huh? To retire and die. Does it say that? Jesus is going countercultural, and to be faithful in a faithful world, a faithless world, we have to adhere to this. Each one of you should use whatever gift is received to serve others. Question: Have you reserved some time, effort, and energy to do this? Otherwise, there are words. Then he says, important word. There's this word again: faithfully administering, faithfully getting organized. Get organized. Faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. Every one of you got amazing talents that God didn't just give you by a random shake of the dice. 
He deliberately gave each of you talent and ability. And he's watching to see if you're going to be faithfully administering them. Because life is a test. Life is a trust. And life is a what? A temporary assignment. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Now it is required that those who are being given a trust must prove faithful. There's that word again. A steward is expected, of course, to act in the interests of the master, not his own interests. Such is the requirement of all stewards, not just some, because a steward's faithfulness will be judged. So God is watching to see. Do I use my talent, my health, my energy, my desire, my influence? Do I use any of these for God's kingdom? Or is it all consumed with my plan? Now, if you do use those for his glory, then God will reward you. And by the way, whatever I use wisely, God will give me more. Two great themes I want to just burn into your souls that are in the Bible. Never forget these. Two overarching meta-themes. Number one is salvation. That's number one. Big theme. Have I trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin? Yes or no? Second meta-theme after salvation is stewardship. Stewardship is what are you doing with what you've been given? Because we are managers. And God is looking at both of those themes in your life. Major themes. Now the third test you're going to encounter, and this is where some of you are today, that's why I stood up today and prayed for some of you deliberately. God will use tough times to test my persistence. He will use tough times to test my persistence. The difference between faithful people and unfaithful people is unfaithful people give up at the first sign of inconvenience or difficulty. God's eyes are looking to and through the earth to see you truly as faithful. Faithful people keep on keeping on. Faithful people are determined and diligent. Faithful people are persistent, very countercultural. Faithful people do not know how to quit because the why determines how long. The why determines how long. If you haven't figured out why you're doing it, you'll flake. If you have, you'll hang in. Faithful people keep on keeping on when other people give up. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. I love this. This is Paul chatting here. He says, this, friends, is why we never give up. This is why. Notice this. Though our bodies are dying, some of you are sick. Some of you just got over the flu. You felt like dying. (laughs) 
That way, we're feeling terrible. That's not the Bible. I'm just paraphrasing, all right? Bear with me. As spirits are being, even though that's happening, as spirits inside are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small. And they won't last very long. But they will produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Spot the contrast. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. That's the problem. Many of you can see a problem right now. And some of you has gotten so big you've gotten your eyes off God. You can't see him. It's almost eclipsed God. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. This is the reward for persevering. God wants you to persevere. For the troubles we see will soon be over. We'll be gone. One of my favorite verses is this. It too shall pass. I like that one. <laughs> but the joys to come will last forever. Again, spot the problem. The troubles we here see will soon be over, but the joy to come will last forever. This is nothing, he says, compared to eternity. Keep your godly perspective. So God, friends, his implication here is more interested in what you're becoming than what's happening to you. He's more interested in who you are than what you do. Who you are as a person. Let me be real clear, just in case some of you are a little confused about this earth. Life for Christians in this fallen world is a mixture of joy and sorrow. It is a mixture of blessings and suffering. It is a mixture. It is a mixture of triumph, good days, and tragedy and other days. But faithful Christians persevere in faith in the midst of their affliction. Faithful Christians. They are strong in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore they're able to suffer hardship as a good soldier, you do not go into battle. Anybody seen Hacksaw Ridge? And you expect it to be a cruise. This is a battle. This is not our home. We are passing through for just a puff in eternity. Now, if you're going through a tough time right now, and many people are, the next verse is a great verse to memorize. Galatians 6, 9. It says this. He says, don't get tired of doing what's right. You will be rewarded when the time is right. If, circle that word, you don't give up. You need to memorize that verse because God uses tough times to test your perseverance. Faithful Christians, what they do is they draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit even when they are weary and they keep doing good and trust God for the results. Fourthly, God uses shortages to test my generosity. God uses shortages to test my generosity. Faithful people 
And you can read this all the way back from Genesis right the way through to Revelation. Are generous when they don't even have it to give. Figure that. That is so countercultural. See, anybody can be generous in flush times when they've got a surplus. It doesn't take any skill or any faith at all to do that. Zero. In fact, Jesus said, even the crooks do that. I can be generous with my time when I've got lots of time. Sure, I'll come and help. I can be generous with my money when I've got extra. I can be generous with my energy when I'm just abounding with full of beans. That's easy. But it's when I don't have enough time for me. What do we all tend to do? Close up. This is for me. Me, 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 me. When I don't have enough money for me. When I don't have enough energy for me. And God says this is a test. And I'm watching to see, will you be faithful? Will you trust me? On the screen, Luke 21. You may want to read this carefully by yourself this afternoon. Jesus is there and he looks up. He's in the temple and he sees... The rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And then he also saw a poor widow. And she put in two very small copper coins. He saw that. And then he pipes up and he says, I tell you the truth. In other words, be real clear about this. This poor woman has put in more than all the others. And then he says, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The lesson there is that poor widow gave and trusted God to care for her needs. There was a woman who used to sit right there And the only income she ever had was a superannuation. But proportionally, she was more generous than 99.999% of Christians I know. Another great example of this, let's pop it up a level, is the people in the church of Macedonia. They bear massively generous in the middle of their shortage. Again, you can read this on the screen. 2 Corinthians 8 to. Though they've been going through severe troubles and very hard times, so that was their context, just like the people in mm, let me say Syria right now out of their extreme poverty has flowed extreme generosity and overwhelming joy very countercultural, very faithful people Macedonia is a place in Greece and although the church in Macedonia had experienced great affliction, persecution and extreme poverty. I'm talking death. They still gave generously to support the church over in Jerusalem who was starving. That's the context. Out of their poverty, God inspired generosity. The world will not do that in you. God will. And one of the key tests in your life and mine. Ever since I was a young first Christian, 13 years old, one of the key tests for me has been my finances. 
and Kimberly. Jesus said it like this. These are his words again. Luke 16, 9. I tell you, he's saying, oi, listen up. Use your worldly resources. Use them. Don't love them. Use them. What's he talking about? He's talking about your time, your finances, your energy. Use your world resources to what? To benefit others. Here's the next point. Do not miss this. To make friends for eternity. You, what do you want me to do with my money? Some of you guys, you've been saying to God, there's his answer. To make friends for eternity. In other words, to help people get into heaven. Finance some missions, guys. This is how you can practically do this. In whatever way God speaks to you. But he says, use your worldly resources for the benefit of others and make friends for eternity in this way. If you do this, your generosity stores up for you reward in heaven for you. But, whoa, what? He's going to get on the other side of this? He is. This is the master speaking. But if you are unfaithful with your worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And then he finishes out with a really succinct, punchy statement. You cannot serve both God and money. Because one will be number one. And there's only one number one. So God's godly money management is not just a good idea, it is God's will. Staying out of debt, investing wisely, Giving liberally, sharing generously. That's a whole package. It's a whole package. And one of the, it starts when the whole point is not becoming uh, overwhelmed by the materialism of this world so where there's not a dime left. It's always a test of faith. Another stunning example of that, which I was just reading this week in my own quiet time, is Second Kings 4.4, 4, with the Elisha and the widow. She hadn't a cracker and see what, how God blessed him. Two other ways God tests my faithfulness to him and then we're done. Number five, faithful people bring friends to God, to Jesus. Faithful people bring friends to Jesus. In other words, faithful people share their faith. They're not afraid of that. Listen, when I first went out with this young man's daughter, the whole world knew, the whole college knew that, man, I was dating a girl from Pakaranga College, and she was in Form 7, and I was only in Form 5. <laughs> and I told everybody because I loved her. That wasn't a secret. That wasn't done in the corner. If I don't share my faith, I'm unfaithful to it. I'm unfaithful to Jesus. If somebody said, hey, I hear you're going out with Kimberly. I go, who's she? People knew. Great example of this is some friends who had a good friend who was paralyzed. Matthew 9, some men brought to Jesus a paralytic friend lying on a mat. Jesus saw their, there's that word, what did you see? Their faith. 
And he said to the paralyzed man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And by the way, that's why the, the Pharisees got so hacked with Jesus right there. Because only God can forgive sins. He was claiming to be God right there. Church, you have friends who are paralyzed and can't get to Jesus right now. And they're relying on you. You have friends who are paralyzed by guilt, by the number of relationships they have had and broken. You've got friends who doubts, have got doubts and questions for Africa, it seems. Will you engage them and point them towards Jesus? You have friends who are paralyzed by insecurity. The only way they're going to get to Jesus is if you're going to bring them with them to church or to home or to go out for coffee with a specific agenda to talk about and to listen to them and then point them to Jesus. So they need to be healed. Your friends need to be healed of a terminal condition without Christ. All of your friends without Jesus have a terminal condition. You bring him and he'll bless you for your faithfulness. Faithful people bring friends to Jesus. That's why he wants you and me to keep reaching out. One last principle and we're done. Number six is faithful people build the faith of others. Building the faith of another is called discipleship. It's simply this. Don't get too hung up on the word, but this is what it means. It means encouraging somebody in the faith who is younger than you in the faith. And God calls every one of us to do that. Every one of us, without exception. Everybody needs a Paul. Somebody that's older than you that can encourage you or coach you spiritually. And to be there for you and pray for you. Now, Paul had Timothy, right? And Paul here is talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. A key verse for Christians. He says, those things that you've learned from me, which, by the way, he got from somebody else. So somebody else gave them to Paul. Paul gave them to Timothy. And then he says, these things that you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, you are to entrust to other faithful people who will also be qualified to pass it on to others. Notice there's like a four-generation relay race going on here. Now, friends, it is wise to learn from your own experience, but it's even smarter to learn from the experience and the mistakes that other people have made. It's far less expensive and it'll save you a lot of time. Look, if I've gone down a dead end, I thought it was all right, and I went down there, if we're talking, I'm going to tell you, it's going to come up in the conversation, I've been down there, it's a complete dead end, and these are the reasons why. Don't even waste your time going down there. Friends, don't waste your hurts, your mistakes. Use them to help the next generation, and God will use them. Sometimes we make the excuse, but I've messed up so much, there's nothing I can use. The fact is, you don't have to be perfect to be a mentor. Now, it's very insightful to me that probably the guy who had the biggest mouth and the biggest foot in the biggest mouth, (laughs) namely Peter, God used arguably one of the greatest failures... Remember? Denied him three times. That's pretty big. He chose him to be the leader of the church. Peter, who denied Jesus. Here it is, Luke 22, verse 31. Notice what's going on here. I told you, the beginning of this, this is a battle. Here we go. 
This is Jesus speaking. No hocus pocus. Here's how it goes. Peter, I want you to know. Satan has asked. Remember, Satan can't do anything without asking. So don't give him too much glory, ever. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, toss you around. That's a severe trial, a test. You remember when Satan asked God's permission to test Job? He is in a sandbox and he has to ask permission to do anything. But, Jesus says, I have prayed for you, here's his word again, that your faith will not completely fail. Got pretty doggone close. So after, now notice this, we forget this part. So after you have repented, done a U-turn, whoops, I was denying, after you have repented and come back the right way, return to me again. So clearly Jesus knew Peter would wobble. He knew that. But he was confident that he would return to Jesus again. He says this, what are you supposed to do? Once you've turned around, strengthen and build up the faith. There's that word again. Build up the faith of your brothers. 1 Peter deals entirely with encouragement for believers who are going through difficulties and trials. So Peter became a source of strength to many who need it. Now, who better to offer encouragement to those being tested in their faith than Peter? He said, man, you think you blew it. You should have heard what I did to the boss himself. Who better to offer encouragement with with those struggling with depression than those who've come through the other side victorious? Or those fighting the addiction of alcoholism or whatever it may be, pornography, to overcome it by God's spirit, and his healing of their heart, which caused a problem in the first place. Encouraging others in their faith can be two ways. Unstructured, that's just when you meet for coffee and you just talk about life together. Or it can be structured, where you study the Bible together, you help, you assign passages to review, and you review it and you encourage. I have five mentors in my life where I'm very blessed. Five men that I can share anything with. So God tests our integrity, unselfishness, persistence, and generosity. My question to you, just before we leave this part here, is who's mentoring you? Second, who are you mentoring? Who are you putting some time into? Now, here's how I work. If I find somebody I think has got something that can help me, I go approach them and I ask them, I need to know something. Can you help me? Because God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. So my question to you is, who is putting into your life spiritual things? It's up to you to seek them out. And then secondly, who in turn are you sowing into to help them? That's what the Bible encourages us to do. The outworking of our tests of integrity, unselfishness, persistence, and generosity... Who can you share those examples with? Who can you meet and share your faith with? If you're not already in a mentoring relationship, think of those people today, right now, who you could ask to be your mentor or somebody who you might be asking and suggesting that you mentor them. Add them to your prayer list this week. And that way you can be faithful 
in following God's direction. Those things you've learned from me, entrust to others, who in turn will be able to teach others. Let's pray. I think just encourage you this morning as we wrap this up to follow along with me as I pray for you. Lord, I know, Father, you're looking for faithful people to use. Your word clearly says that. You're looking for faithful people to bless here and eternity. And I know people of real faith, your word says, are hard to find. Yet you have said faithfulness is the key to blessing and the key to victory. And that a faithful man or a faithful woman will be richly blessed. So Father, you know, as I've prayed many times before, I want these people in our church family to be richly blessed. So would you help us by your spirit to respond to these tests with a heart full of faith? Now why don't you pray in your heart and your mind and say this, Dear God, would you use the small things in my life to grow my integrity? the stuff that nobody else sees. Would you help me to be faithful in that which isn't my own so that you can give me my own? And God, would you use my talents that you have given me to grow my unselfishness? Help me to realize that my giftedness and my abilities are not just for my own benefit, but to make the world a better place and to help others. Lord, the tough times I'm going through now, I ask you to use them to grow my persistence, my stamina. And help me not to give up, but to rely on the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to keep on keeping on and to get my eyes off the problem, but to focus on the reward in heaven for growing in character. Lord, the stuff that I lack that I've got a shortage of in my life. I'm going to help, ask you to help me to grow in generosity through the shortages and to be generous when I can't afford it, especially with my time, Lord, and with my praise. Help me to be generous in affirming others. Help me to be generous with your money. Help me to be generous with my love. Help me to be generous, not with criticism, but with praise and gratitude. I want to be generous in every area of my life. And Father, I want to obey your vision and rely on your provision and generosity to me. And when there's a delay between the seed and the harvest, help me to realize that you are still testing my faith. Father, I pray for a blessing on the families here and on their businesses and on their lives. Help them to faithfully bring other friends to you. And help me to build the faith of others. Lord, bring mentors into these folks' lives. And I ask you to help them to be faithful, to share their life experiences with others. Today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, would you say, Jesus, come into my life right now. Forgive me for my sins. I want to put my faith in you. In Jesus' name I ask it.
And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.